Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Developments in China and Hong Kong are not good. I received this this message from uh, someone I know in Hong Kong. Got this earlier today. Excuse me. People are worried that this is the end of HK as we know it. Some people deleting their social media accounts, huge downloads of VPN. The trending apps on Apple Apps Store are VPNs. Google searches of national security law and immigration have spiked. These two are highly correlated, too. Hang Seng Index, reflective of the Hong Kong stock market, has plunged by more than 5% and is expected to continue to fall on Monday. Protests uh, tomorrow, Sunday, would be indicative of the development of the movement. People have all the reason to protest, but A, it might violate the ban on social gathering. The government extended this to prevent protests. And B, the police have a bigger budget and are better deployed and have better weapons than last year. This from a Hong Kong resident to me earlier today. There's a lot going on with uh, the Beijing government of uh, President Xi having decided that a new national security law is required for Hong Kong. We also have military uh, muscle flexing between China and the United States. That is taking place, and China has planned um, a mock invasion of Taiwan. All this stuff is uh, is concerning. Preston Lim is a Yale Law School student. He worked at the Hong Kong law firm during the major protests in 2014 and is personally familiar with leading pro-democracy Hong Kong politicians. Wrote a piece for the McDonald Laurier Institute just uh, recently. He's back with us on the program to speak about this. Um, thank you, Preston. Appreciate the time. And uh, share your experience living in Hong Kong in 2014, would you please? Because that was a tense time between Hong Kong and Beijing as well, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And it's a pleasure to be back on air with you, Roy. So I was, well, I was a lot younger back then, and I was an intern uh, at an American law firm in the city. And I think it's important to talk about what happened in 2014 because in many ways, It sets the backdrop for what happened last year and what is happening this year. Uh, And the point to be made here is that Beijing has a history of trampling on the one country, two systems arrangement. Now, this is the arrangement that Hong Kong was supposed to be ruled under when Britain handed the city to China in 1997. Uh, It is a system that has given Hong Kong considerable autonomy in its own affairs. Uh, In 2014, when I was there, the protests emerged uh, in response to the question of who should elect the city's chief executive. Um, People wanted it to be through universal suffrage. Beijing disagreed. And today, the chief executive is still elected through a closed committee made up of pro-Beijing legislators. And so I think the very worrying lesson from 2014, and one that I fear will be reflected again today, is that when Beijing puts its foot down, there's very little that the protesters can do without meaningful international support. You heard that uh, direct message I, I just read that I received from a resident of Hong Kong earlier today. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen? What will change in Beijing? How wor- in, in Hong Kong? How worried should the people in Hong Kong be about what Beijing may do? I think the people in Hong Kong, in Taiwan, and in the West should be very worried about what's going on here. Um, I think there's no better way to describe what Beijing has done uh, through promising this national security bill than a complete upending of the one country, two systems arrangement. 
look, uh, I found this to be the case when I was in Hong Kong in 2014, and it's always been true for Hong Kong. Hong Kong is an international city, and the reason why that city is the pearl of the Orient for many is because of the values that Hong Kongers cherish, values that we as Canadians hold true and dear. So democracy, rule of law, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, and with this new national security bill, Beijing is making an end run against the will of the Hong Kong people and the will of the Hong Kong legislature, and will be able to just simply clamp down on the protest movement and on these values in the months to come. Preston, where does Canada fit into all of this, if we do have a any kind of role to play? Mr. Trudeau, after polling showed recently that public opinion in this country is definitely opposed to the Xi government in Beijing, seems now interested in challenging China a little. He says China doesn't understand independent judicial systems like ours and that the Canadian government can't just release and send Wang Wanzhou back to China. He's also saying he's doing all he can for the two Michaels imprisoned by the Xi government, and that's Michael Spavor and, and Michael Kovrig. Where do we fit into this, if at all? And that's a question that so many have been asking for the past several months now, Roy. Um, you might have seen recently the foreign minister, uh, François-Philippe Champagne, he did release a statement after Beijing's announcement in conjunction with the British and Australian foreign ministers. Uh, but if you actually dive into the text of that statement, it merely expresses concern about what is going on in Hong Kong. And that is not enough. And the other point I'd make is that François-Philippe Champagne's statement is fairly indicative of Trudeau's approach to Beijing writ large. It's not a strong one. It's one that at most offers weak rhetoric. And the argument I'd make today is that the protesters in Hong Kong and the 300,000 Canadian citizens who live in Hong Kong are expecting much more than weak rhetoric, Roy. They are expecting meaningful action, uh, and we can do that in a number of ways. You and uh, Dennis Kwok, who's one of Hong Kong's prominent pro-democracy leaders, wrote a newspaper article a few months ago calling on Western governments, including this one, uh, ours in Canada, to impose sanctions on Beijing officials. Uh, remind us of, of how that goes and, and how excited would, uh, would the uh, Chinese embassy in, in Ottawa be to, to read your column? Right. Uh, well, you know, they certainly aren't pleased uh, when people in Canada write pieces like this. Um, that argument that we made then uh, is true today. And in that article, Dennis and I called for the imposition of Magnitsky Act sanctions on Chinese and Hong Kong officials who have committed human rights abuses during the protest movement, during the crackdown on the protest movement, and who are rolling back democratic rights and freedoms in Hong Kong. Now, when we put Canada into global context, uh, we see how anemic the Trudeau government's response has been. So just to take one example, in the United States, uh, prominent legislators on both sides of the aisle are calling for uh, the imposition of sanctions under one of the American acts uh, on these officials. Uh, so far, as I've mentioned earlier, there's been no discussion in Ottawa of the imposition of sanctions, and all we're seeing uh, is this constant repetition of the line uh, that Canada expresses a deep concern. Yeah. And that's meaningless. Yeah, it is. It really is. It's a fallback position, and it's something that Mr. Trudeau's memorized. Uh, Preston, thank you. Good talking to you, as always. Appreciate it, and we'll have you back. Thank you so much, Roy. All the best. Preston Lim, 
uh, Yale Law School, and uh, he did work at a Hong Kong law firm uh, during the protests of 2014. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 